Welcome to the Back End Business Podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Cloud. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley. The Chancellor's Comprehensive Spending Review will be published on Wednesday the 25th. He's putting the finishing touches to it as we speak. And we'll be talking about what businesses can expect with Professor Mark Hart shortly. He's already re- dubbed Sorry, I was going to say he's already dubbed it the crisis spending <laughs> review. Well, he's probably quite right, yeah. yeah um, the, the review will cover 2021 to 2022, one year only, rather than the three to four year review as usual, um, which I suppose isn't surprising given how uncertain everything is at the minute and the fact that the coffers are empty. Well, um, that's absolutely true, but it's especially uncertain for businesses. You know, what do we expect? Even if there's nothing directly for businesses, there's likely to be something about infrastructure spending and projects and small businesses want to know whether there'll be anything for them to to apply for contracts for, don't they? Um, Well, they'll also require a bit of clarity, Um, you know, turning around on October the 31st and say we're extending the furlough system isn't really clarity, is it? (laughs) Some might say it was this blinding obvious but, you know, they want a bit of clarity. And even if it's for a few months, it'll help, but not from day to day. But we've always, we've been saying right since the beginning of this podcast in May that we need clarity. But it's really uncertain, I think, at the minute for the retail sector. Um, you wrote about this in your blog this week. Um, this should be the start of the big Christmas spending rush. There's not going to be one, is well, there'll be one, but not one that we we know of. Um, you know, most of it will be online. A lot of people are still too concerned, worried, frightened to go to the shops. Um, some will still do it, but I think a lot of the sales, there'll be a huge surge in sales online. And as I keep repeating, this problem with the retail sector goes beyond COVID. The, the problems for the, the setback were there long, long, long before. You know, BHS didn't go bust because of COVID. It went bust because of a failure of business plan and not work in the retail sector as it, as it should do. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, but there's also Jaeger and Peacocks went bust yesterday. Again, I suppose they fall into that category you're talking about. Yeah, you know, um, people, people don't need to travel around. They'll take a risk and, and get it online because they'll get a cheaper price. Don't forget, costs are going up for these retailers, particularly those with physical presence on the high street in other words bricks and mortars we like to say and you're finding that with increased competition online their margins are under pressure and and that's the really big problem and that's why we're seeing so many jobs laid off so many stores closing um it's not just about a a virus it's it's also about the, the the structure and the future of retail in this country as we know it um it's about the structure of the whole economy, isn't it? But it was really interesting because the ONS figures this morning showed that retail spending was up in October uh, before the second lockdown in England. But it was counterintuitive because it was actually mostly driven by online sales. So we didn't yeah. rush out to the shops before the lockdown. We rushed to buy things for Christmas, but not in the shops. I think, I think if you look at supermarkets and the huge surge that they've seen in sales this year, um, that's the physical presence of, of retail that's doing well. But even with supermarkets, the online and home delivery is doing a lot, lot better. Um, but generally speaking, um, it, these economic numbers come out from the government now. And I think, with no disrespect to the Office for National Statistics, 
you do have to take them with a pinch of salt because if you've shut the economy down, how the bloody hell are you going to take account of what's going on now? It's not a light switch. You don't just keep switching it on and off. I wish you could see this because <laughs> we're on Zoom and Mark Hart's sitting in the background with thumbs up. Mark, we will <laughs> we'll come to you shortly. But Simon McVicker, our Director of Public Affairs, Policy and Communications and our business editor, Declan Curry, are here. Declan, I know that you've been really exercised about the retail figures this week. Just to say that the among the stores that are really suffering are the small independent local stores that are being told they have to close whilst the supermarket down the road selling exactly the same stuff or close to the same stuff or uh, a rough equivalent of it is allowed to stay open. It's taking the bread from their basket and they're feeling particularly uh, damaged by this. They think it's hugely unfair. Um, but we were told the last time we were in full national lockdown that the local stores were doing really well because we were well, shopping local. Well, we were we were told that uh, we should shop local and go to local stores because they can offer a better service, a more personal service. They're likely to know you better. They'll have a more distinctive product uh, available. And that's great so long as their doors are open. But if their doors are shut at a great... You can big... only eat so much sourdough bread. Yeah, and, and a great big retailer up the road is allowed to stay open, taking their business. Then what future are they likely to have next year? Um, you talk about the impact of the lockdowns. The uh, I've never heard such anger from business as I have from businesses in Northern Ireland this morning, who were told, uh, this is Friday morning, they were told on Thursday night that having just reopened from a circuit breaker lockdown, they're going to have to shut their doors again next Friday. So the rush to the shops in Northern Ireland this week to get that Christmas shopping in is going to be immense. And so our circuit breaker's not working, Declan? Is that what the, you're the, saying? The, the circuit breaker needed a circuit breaker. Another circuit breaker <laughs> is what they say. What's really, <laughs> Mickey, what's really annoying them is this. It's not the need for restrictions. It's the way that the politicians have handled it. The public health experts said in Northern Ireland three weeks ago, have a longer lockdown earlier on, and there's a better chance that you might then be able to open for Christmas. The politicians had a short circuit breaker, then said, let's reopen, and are now closing again, bam, right in December, when they need those Christmas sales to get their annual profits in. They'd almost have been better not to open again. Straight after Black Friday. At all. Because, yeah, well, that's what they're saying. Just let us. If they, the decision could have been made three weeks ago to keep the stores closed and then open in December, but they were told no, open up. So they ordered all this stock. They've paid for it. It's in their on the shelves in their warehouses and in their storerooms. And now they have got one week to get it out the door. I nearly cried when I read that because I just thought you're going to be left with so much stock, especially Christmassy type stock, um, that you're just not going to be able to sell in it. But what's going to happen by this time next year? You can't store it. There's no place to put it. Declan, buy it cheap and use it for next year. Well, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, I would be following in the footsteps of Granny Curry if I started doing my Christmas shopping <laughs> on the 2nd of January, buying up what is cheap. Mickey, you'll remember the story of Woolworths. Remember them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one of the problem, one of the indicators of how they were running their business badly is that at the end of every Christmas period, they had more Christmas trees 
in the storeroom than they had at the start of the Christmas period. <laughs> and they'd all go back into storage and then they'd all be wheeled out again the following November at a cut price to shift the stock. And then they couldn't sell the new stuff that they bought. I don't know how true that story is, but it's an anecdote I was told by an insider once who had her head in her hands as she described it. That is absolutely hilarious. Simon, would Granny McVicker um, <laughs> dropping out to do her shopping oh, yes. in January too? <laughs> Granny McVicker was very much of the Second World War generation where she stored everything away. Mm. And when she passed away, we found tins going back to the 1930s. Oh, that's my mum, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think there's something in the DNA beaches, of that generation. Beaches. Yeah, you've, uh, you've, never, you've never seen so much carnation Exactly. <laughs> but another friend of mine always buys his turkey from a well-known supermarket just after Christmas because they cut the prices right down to you know hardly anything bungs it in his freezer and then next year uses that turkey and can i so. just su suggest we're supposed to be supporting the economy no. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> little little tales from ireland <laughs> so what do you want well, to well, ask give me some English? tales give us some tales from downing street give us some tales from the assembly in northern ireland from well, Scotland. <laughs> after all the 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 uh, turmoil last week it's all calmed down quite a bit and there's a sort of a new atmosphere of shall we say the new fluffier dining street reaching out to mps and to all the different regions of the country um i think that um you know what we're seeing being announced uh in spend expenditure uh on defense on on the green um and on health and education uh, these are areas that um, probably would have happened anyway. I think they were on the agenda. But I do think the election of President Biden has really changed the narrative because these are very much things that are on top of his agenda. And uh, I think Boris is trying to show that Britain is still the loyal ally and still America's best friend. But, of course, the big thing looming is Brexit, and um, we're literally weeks away now to the withdrawal. And um, guess what? The Barnier team in Brussels have gone into self-isolation because one of their people tested for COVID. So at the moment, they're suspended the talks. Uh, and this is in the light of France and the Benelux countries ordering the commission to draw up a no deal plan. Now, I still think that's all very unlikely there'll be a new deal. I think this is all play acting. And I think Cummings' departure make a new deal very unlikely. But there's still a lot of detail to get sorted out. Going back to Northern Ireland, they're in a really difficult position because, of course, they're going to stay in the single market. There's this vague border that's going to go down the REC. But we've had a survey out from the Food and Drink Association this week saying that 30% of their members, mostly in food manufacturing, will cease trading with Northern Ireland because the rules are too complex and it'll be too expensive. And I noted that one of the newspapers was doing a Vox Pop in Belfast in one of the markets and there was a cheese shop there. And they said that they reckon the Stilton cheese will double in price. Um, I don't know what to say, to be honest. Um, we've got some wonderful cheese in Ireland, so hopefully there will be a way uh, you know, to make the local markets really work. But uh, 
it sounds disastrous. We're going to do a podcast, I think, before Christmas on Brexit, are we not? Um, yes, we we're will... going to. But I think the thing is, at the moment, everything is so unclear. You know, if it's unclear to us, it's really unclear for, for businesses. For businesses. And yeah, small absolutely. businesses particularly. Uh, and, you know, there's all these different sectors that will need to get an agreement with the EU. So it is, it's, it's nerve-wracking. But, you know, I would say that we are heading for a big recession next year. The Chancellor's going to announce a public sector... What do you, what do you mean for heading for one? We're in one. Well, we're, we are sort of in one, yeah. Not technically, but... Not technically, we are. <laughs> but but we what are. did I tell you about are... the economic numbers? Ignore them. We are, They're worthless. We are having a public sector pay freeze next year on top of all the job redundancies that are coming. Um, and, you know, uh, if there's no confidence amongst consumers, then this economy is not going to operate. Yeah, and just one got... last thing is the Office of um, the Budget Responsibility, they have put out a report um, saying Britain faces the largest downgrading of the public finances since World War II. The government have spent $2 billion on the pandemic um, situation to date, and GDP will contract by 11% in 2020. And Declan has got a mischievous smile on his face, and I'm worried about why. Says, well, no, I was just enjoying the predictions from old Clark's almanac there as to what we were <laughs> well, going to get for next year. Well, that's the budget responsibility. I, I, I think they're pretty reliable. <laughs> right. Professor Mark Hart is Professor of Small Business and Entrepreneurship at Aston Business School. Um, Professor Hart, we are going to talk about the comprehensive spending review, or as you've called it, the crisis spending review. Um, and I know you've uh, been nodding your head and shaking your head and so on as we've heard that discussion go on. But this is Entrepreneur Week and you've been busy because you sent a letter to the Treasury yesterday. We are recording on Friday. By the time people hear this, that will be Thursday last week. Uh, a press release uh, goes out today as well. Um, and you're saying that entrepreneurship is in jeopardy. What do you mean by that? I'm really saying that the signals coming out of government um, are really not you know, landing very well across the small business economy. I mean, we, we know that this is, a, this is the backbone of our economy. And, you know, the, 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 the way in which, and you can argue about the numbers, but the audit office were very clear about nearly 3 million people have been excluded from business support. Um, we've seen um, self-employment decline rapidly throughout 2020. And, you know, the, the, we, we were the entrepreneurial capital of the EU, 28, once back in the day. And that's what I mean by in jeopardy, we're losing that particular uh, advantage. So what we're seeing actually is this whole um, cultural norms and et cetera are being, are being eroded because of essentially what the government is signaling. Now, there was comments in the House of Commons yesterday about, you know, the, the, the Conservatives being the party for enterprise, party for business, and really big question mark after that. And I think this is the, 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 what they've done since March has really, really underlined that position. I, I just, I mean, I'm not going to quote what Boris has supposedly meant to have said in private, but I think that the, 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 the evidence is there to show that we are losing valuable entrepreneurs. And, and, and it's a way that Sunak has actually been arrogantly dismissing them as if they are out just to make a fast buck. That, you know, they're not really part of the core economy. Not paying tax. What's that? Not, Not paying tax. Absolutely. That seems to be the suspicion. 
Absolutely. And there's just sort of this fraudulent mass of three, three million people who are really just, you know, trying to pull a fast one over government and government finances. And that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I've been running a, the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor Survey for 20 years in the UK. And, you know, since the the noughties, we've seen, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, if you like, and, and, and activities and profits and wealth grow in the UK. There's been absolutely no doubt about that. They were crucial to the recovery after the great financial crisis, which one could argue our dear Chancellor was not exactly far removed from, but let's leave that there, shall we, in terms of his previous uh, career path. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they have taken us to where we were as we got into the referendum over Brexit, which you know, we've touched on already. And, you know, the, the, the issue is that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but still within the uncertainty, people are embracing entrepreneurship. I just think that with the actions this year, uh, people will think twice. Entrepreneur However, it has entrepreneurship to be is almost a dirty word. Well, it's become that way. And I mean, when I look at the incorporations that are taking place, there has been a rise in incorporations over the summer. What's it all to do with? I believe people are people are being advised, look, if you want to get government support, legitimise yourself, become a limited company. So there's a lot of registrations there, but I don't think there's a lot of activity underneath them. That's what was, that'd be my, my take on that. But look, that's enough for me at the moment. It's in jeopardy because I don't think this party of government has actually demonstrated that they value their contribution because these are people, as I know, I don't know any small business, or as you were talking about earlier, there's larger businesses who don't use freelancers, who don't use contractors, contractors as self-employed. They, they all do, do you think they don't understand business and that is the big problem? I believe that's the case, Mick. I, I have put various uh, messages in the last number of months to say, look, this government clearly doesn't understand how the economy works. And by that, I mean a very micro level understanding of, you know, how small businesses work, how larger businesses bring in, you know, various contractors and freelancers. They just don't understand. And I don't know why they don't understand. Well, it's not for want of you trying to tell them because you've tried to tell them for a minute. You know, I run the Enterprise Research Centre with colleagues and, you know, we've been going for eight years. We put out the evidence. We, we, we you know, government fund us for goodness sake. You know, the number of stuff we put into into government, you know, the evidence is there. They don't seem to be able to imbibe it, translate it into policies that make sense. And there are 14 professors of entrepreneurship who have signed your letter that went to the Treasury. On we're Thursday. getting very angry about this, Liz. And I mean, we're, we're talking about professors who have been a, a, too, too long on the tooth, I guess, from all, all the home nations, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales and England, who are basically saying enough is enough. And we're not, we're not just agitating from the sideline and sort of throwing rhetoric around. We've actually provided the Treasury with very clear technical solutions because some claims it's too difficult. No, it's not. If there's a will, there's a way, I think, is the phrase. So we've well, proposed very detailed things that they can do. And I'd love to hear the response. I'm looking forward to that discussion. Well, we're looking forward to finding out what the response is. And as you know, we are very much behind you. But Louisa Clack is also with us and she's an entrepreneur. Well, we all are. Um, you know, we're freelancers. Uh, most of us are not limited companies, but we are entrepreneurs. Uh, we have an entrepreneurial mindset, but Louisa uh, runs a PR consultancy, a media relations and training firm. And Louisa, you work with a lot of small businesses across lifestyle, food, beauty, property. You're dealing with businesses as well as running a business. How do you feel about what Mark has been saying about the lack of 
understanding of how you and the businesses you work with operate in the first place. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and when sort of Mark says he feels like the government doesn't quite understand how businesses run and work realistically, I, I completely agree. Um, there does seem to be quite a sort of detachment and, and mis miscommunication, misunderstanding from them and sort of sort of knowing what they genuinely need to operate and run. It doesn't seem to be a, a lot sort of coming from them. What would you like to see coming from them? I, and I, I suppose, tell us, first of all, it's about six months since we last talked to you. Um, yeah. How's it been? It's been actually really, really buoyant. I'm happy to say the the, the woman that was on the podcast six months ago, I, I barely would recognise her. Um, I'm a, I've got 15 clients at the moment. I've taken on ex, an extra subcontractor. Um, work is going incredibly well. Um, but sort of... So to sort of generally answer your question about sort of looking to the government, um, I kind of associate announcements from Rishi Sunak kind of like going back to a bad boyfriend and a heartbreak. The first announcement that was done, I, I, I remember that uh. feeling more than the, when the lockdown was first announced. That announcement when Rishi Sunak said, I thought I was able to get the grant of being self-employed and then I didn't. It was like being the heartbreak you feel when you're... <laughs> Your, your boyfriend breaks up with you and now it's like I don't go back to the bad boyfriend I don't I don't look because I'm going to be disappointed and you know and the friends say don't go back to the bad boyfriend he's called dishy rishy for a reason <laughs> and I feel a lot like that and I've well, just a lot more I, than you that. know I've <laughs> um and I you know I sat myself down and I really sort of gave myself a talking to and I've become an incredibly resilient businesswoman out of this year um and yeah as I say business is really buoyant now and I, you had to really pick yourself up and dust yourself off and it's been incredible incredibly character building and challenging um, but I'm really proud of where I am today because of it but in terms of looking to the government for for grants because I agree with Mark I think it's a it feels almost fruitless and a, a, a waste of energy to hope and expect them to deal with it when there's obviously a flawed system in place so I just kind of I don't I don't rely on it anymore I don't think about it as something that's that's going to help I rely on myself and myself only and my business and my clients uh, we communicate very well together and help each other out Louise um, I get the impression I get the impression that with the lockdown it doesn't affect your business you can still carry on trading as such but from a sort of boss's perspective do you understand all the rules and regulations that are being issued about covid restrictions to your where it affects your business are you an expert on that or have you given up <laughs> that's a good question i would hardly say i'm an expert um as you quite rightly identify actually working uh, the practical side of it and the housekeeping side of it, COVID does not affect it. In terms of generating business, you guys were talking about retail outlets and, and particularly hospitality earlier. At the start of this year, that was 100% of my business. I've completely pivoted and I have totally, pretty much e-commerce clients now. No so you've adapted? 100%. Um, and so that side of things has affected work more for the type of work that comes in. And yeah, I work in, in public relations. So my relationships with journalists and in that sector, I've had to completely pivot and build new, brand new relationships. I've been doing PR nearly 10 years, but now I'm making brand new relationships with different journalists just because of the nature of the clients I'm working with. Um, but yeah, in terms of your, your original question of lockdown restrictions, 
can anyone really understand them? They change so frequently. Um, you know, the, the guidance is quite unclear a lot of the time. And then when you, so I don't go outside too much. I, I have vulnerable family members to protect, but when I do, you sort of think, why am I bothering? There's quite a lot of people completely fragrantly disregarding the rules. Um, so, but when the guidance is as unclear, if I can't understand it, can everyone else, you know? Um, so I hope that answers your question a little bit. Um, Mark, uh, we were having big problems with your mic, Louisa, but those seem to have cleared. Uh, so oh, sorry. Uh, but Mark, do you want to come in? Very quickly, I love the analogy about the bad boyfriend. Um, <laughs> Russian, <laughs> I hope he's listening. Uh, poor lad. Anyway, the point is there's some good boyfriends out there touting for business. So we've got the Metro mayors, Steve and Andy, and uh, now Sally um, beginning to engage with the excluded agenda. So that's there's some good boyfriends out there. I'm trying to work with Andy Street in the Midlands to try and get them to behave themselves, but there you go. And um, the key point is though, and this is the pernicious nature of Treasury, they have banned any money they're giving to the local authorities, to the Metro mayors, to be used to fix the problem of the excluded. So the good boyfriends are out there, Louisa, but they're actually can't afford to take you to dinner. <laughs> there, there's the title Mark, for the podcast. Part... <laughs> it's a dating agency. Mark, isn't that part of the problem? Is that in Rishi Sunak you have a politician who's not only looking to get elected, but looking to stay in power and is quite happy to promise the world and a brighter future tomorrow. And then you have the Treasury behind him who's only looking at the bottom line. Well, you know, as far as they're concerned, entrepreneurs can go and stuff themselves because they don't pay enough tax. Well, you say that, but, you know, I, I work on another topic um, with the Enterprise and Growth Unit in the Treasury. Such a thing does exist. So there's a group of individuals there, very bright, young, capable civil servants who are working through this, but they get blocked out. Why? Because above them are other parts of Treasury which is the monolith, which is the macro, which is the sort of, you know, let's balance the books. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, look at the blue book, look at the, you know, the, the death of the figures, and they just get frozen out. But it does exist. That's my way in to, to discuss with these people what they need to do for the small business. But, but to turn around and tell Andy Burnham, oh, by the way, see the money you're getting? Don't you dare spend a penny of that on helping Louise's business or businesses like that, because no, 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 we've made a decision about who's excluded and you can't counteract that. And that's what's really, really pernicious. Um, interest, very interesting insight, though. Um, what do you want to get then off the back of this letter to the Treasury? And Louisa, what would you like to see happen? Well, very quickly, I mean, we've made suggestions about uh, giving a, a monthly stipend to the, the excluded directors. We've talked about um, the, you know, looking at these part-time self-employed, there's the assumption in Treasury that they're, they're not really proper, they're hobbyists, they're not important. This is not true. We've demonstrated that there's a way in which we can look at that. The newly self-employed, we've told people, look, if you've had an online um, submission or papers in October and then again in January, get your self-assessment in quickly and try and get some assessment done on that. We've given them very practical solutions. So, A, I want to know why that can't be done. And B, I want to see a commitment from Treasury, pressure on from the Metro mayors and everybody else um, to actually change policy. Will it happen next Wednesday? No, but the pressure's on Sunak. I do believe he will cede on this. But some of your policy suggestions are dead simple. They oh, they're could, so simple. They could there. be enacted quickly. I mean, yeah. the one on paternity and maternity. 
know. I mean, um, you, expl- you explain it, but basically you're saying don't count those periods as normal earnings. Yeah. And, and, and the proxy for it is if, if you've got a child under one year age, that's it. Now, you know, this is not fraud. You, you can't make up a child under one year of age. You, you know, you just can't. Therefore, you know, the, if you want to really be seen to be addressing the problem, you can do this in a wet weekend. That's my It'll point. be a wet, this is going to be a wet weekend. <laughs> you know, and I, I, we want to know, and I, with, with, with a lot of, with the Metro Mirrors now putting a lot of political pressure, and given the embarrassment that they had with Andy and, and, and Steve to a certain extent uh, um, earlier this month, I believe, or late last month, I do believe that there will be some seeding in this. I mean, the, the, the all-party parliamentary group of MPs on the excluded, there's over 240 of them out of a parliament of 650 who are part of that all-party group saying, we need to do something. So there's a third of parliament on the case. We've got the Metro mayors on the case. My letter is inconsequential, but it does set out very technical, practical solutions to fix this overnight if there's a will. And what this will expose is that the, uh, the Treasury, Sunak government don't have the will. And that's the disappointing, uh, really, really catastrophic message. And that's them. the difference. They could do it. They just choose not to. Exactly, Mickey. Uh, look, and, we, and we pointed this out in a letter in April, Mickey. This is our second go at this. This was obvious to us back then. I just didn't think it would be still a topic of discussion. But you see, the problem with the government, they thought it would be two, three months. Crisis would be over in 12 weeks. Do you remember that phrase? Yeah. And after that, this would all be gone. And no one will remember they excluded all these people. They've been caught out because we've now got a year-long crisis with COVID. Caught out with our pants down. Uh, I don't like that uh vision that's just popped into my mind Louise <laughs> moving on with Louise's bad boyfriend <laughs> what would you I, I wasn't going to say that she likes naughty boys <laughs> Louisa what you know on the ground what would you like uh, you, you, the result of this letter to the treasury from Mark he says he's not got any influence but he is there are a very influential set of 14 professors there who've signed this letter you know what would you like to see um, I mean, it does feel quite pie in the sky, some of the things I would really like to see. And they're less kind of you know, lumps of cash and, and grants and things like that, but more practical implications. Some of my clients, as you mentioned earlier, are our small businesses. They really benefited from the um, the advertising um, grant that they could achieve, TV advertising, really small businesses for much smaller budgets. It helped their businesses enormously. I'd love to see something on, instead of making com- uh, your employees redundant, consider the, making them freelance or going into that, or even just an advertising that, that would really help boost. I've been really lucky with business with referrals. I haven't had to market too much, but I know a lot of fellow freelancers are really struggling to help convert. And they're very talented um, people, as we've kind of we've said, that entrepreneurship is what is the backbone of this country. And I'd really like to see just a bit of love from the government. And I'd love to see a government-run campaign, just sort of explaining what freelancers are and what contracted work is. As I say, I think it's really pie in the sky thinking, just because of how the who's in the government at the moment and and who's there. Um, but I'd love to see something like that, a bit more of a kind of kind of a bit more of an attitude towards it that's a lot more positive as yeah because I think these lumps of cash and these these grants and loans you know the taxpayer eventually will have to will have to pay for it um but a bit more of a practical information would be great but I really highly doubt it 
Well, let's hope it's not pie in the sky, but uh, seriously, I do think there needs to be a culture shift that embraces entrepreneurship in this country um, in a way that we become known outside this country for, but doesn't seem to exist anymore. But can we move on to the comprehensive spending review? It is, after all, Mark, why, why we asked you to come and, uh, and talk to us. What can we expect on Wednesday when the Chancellor has dotted the I's and crossed the T's. We've been, we've been hearing bits of it drift out as is normally the case in these situations so that we're, our expectations are managed. Well, I think that, you know, there's kite flying this morning in the press about public sector pay freeze for one year, two years, three years, which, you know, for me is a leveling down. Basically the attitude is, well, the private sector's stuffed. No one's got any money. Therefore, the public sector can suffer as well. Now, you put that in the context of the northeast of England and the and Northern Ireland, where nearly half of the workforce are actually in the public sector. And Scotland. Uh, and so, yeah, but you know, those are the two that I always sort of equate because they're the most depressed regions in terms of entrepreneurship, actually. Why? Because of the public sector influence. But I think that that is a major slap in the face basically, and I, I think I was kite flying this morning. I can't see that being, you know, I'd be surprised if it ended up in the way it was being described. I think we need a spending review for the private sector, for business. It's about recovery. And I think Pi on the Eye announcements this week about the green recovery, I mean, it's petty cash, it's not serious. When you compare that what's being done in Germany and the US, even, but you know, the German uh, expenditure on, 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 a, on a green recovery, this is just playing lip service. And, and how many of those MPs are going to be around once all this is put in place, if it's ever put in place? Exactly. Because if another government comes in, they may well change it. Well, and it's, it's interesting that the, the public, the squeeze on public sector spending that we're seeing in the papers in the past few days comes after MPs have received an 86, you know, they, they now earn £86,000 a year. Why do we always put in place a public sector pay freeze after the MPs have been awarded theirs? Well, I just, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, and, and just to exclude the NHS, but not other key frontline workers. You can't do it. It's, it's just it's not going to happen, I believe. But we need, an, uh, you know, clear signals here in terms of, um, you know, the that will aid the recovery. The problem we've got, though, is that you're, you've got the double whammy coming of exiting a transition period. And we mentioned this earlier in terms of the suspension of talks. I do believe that we're going to get a ratification period here. I do believe, I agree with Simon, there will be a deal of some thin nature to allow Boris to say, sorry, to allow the Prime Minister to say he got something and it'll take six to nine months to ratify. That will give the breathing space to work it out for business. But that's, will that be announced on, on, on Wednesday? Now, a brave Chancellor, a brave government would actually do that, if, if, but they're not brave. But should, um, they, should we even be talking about it, Mark? I mean, the death toll is still climbing higher. What is the point of him at the moment coming out and say, we've, this is how we're going to pay for it? We know we've got to pay for it. We know there's got to be a bill at some point. Is now the time to put that bill simply because you've got an autumn statement coming up? Basically, there's a legal requirement, Mickey, and that's part of the process here. There has to be some statement this autumn. Um, yeah, but he doesn't have to go into specifics and say, oh, we're going no. to shut down the private sector and the public sector and no pay awards whatsoever, even though inflation's no. virtually zero. 
I, I mean, I'm not holding out for any great excitement next Wednesday. It'll be very much um, as you, as we were with a few bit of flag waving, a bit of you know an announcement. I can't see him getting carried away because he's got nothing to get carried away with. Well, I mean, you know, as, as we were saying earlier, I mean, the, the downgrading of, of the of the of the UK's finances is is of international repute now, um, and it has to be said that when we compare, I mean, in France, similar size economy, similar size COVID crisis, um, almost almost identical day by day, yet they're managing to get a better forecast than us, which begs the question. Um, what about small businesses, though? What about now, just to come back to the small business point, if we get lots of stuff around green recovery, if we get lots of spending on infrastructure, etc., will there be opportunities for contracts for small businesses? You know, what, what about what about what about the supply chains here that we've got to? You know, I'm absolutely obsessed with supply chains, <laughs> but you know, the very thought of them breaking down uh, keeps me awake at night. Um, you take what? her out for a date, Louisa. You'll have a r- real good time, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? What about? What, what? What? You know? What is there in there for small businesses? I mean, I think that that's a very good question, Liz. I mean, I don't think that this government actually understands the nature of supply chains and the way in which they are they become critical. The integration of the economy now is something that they, they, they haven't really grasped at all. When I work in the Midlands and I'm in tier three, tier four small businesses are vital to the automotive sector. I was talking to Mike Wright uh, the other day, who was ex-CEO of JLR, and he, you know, he's just appalled by what, 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 what's about to await the uh, the OEMs in the region that you know they they will be absolutely gutted and come to a standstill because of the small businesses tier three tier four who actually depend on front freelancers and contractors to do their business as well so you know I I, I think that um, COVID has made it really difficult from a logistical point of view but um, as I say the exiting of the transition period with the uncertainty that exists. Uh, as of 42 days to go, is quite disgraceful, actually. And Mark, this is the billion pound question, isn't it? Because here is the government announcing this vast spending over the course of the last week on green energy, on retrofitting homes, on uh, defence. It leaves you wondering what spending could possibly be left to announce in the comprehensive spending review next week. And how much of that is going to trickle down to small businesses, because when you look at the government's procurement, the story of the week has been what a scandal it is that it was unable to cope with the demand for healthcare equipment in the immediate um, weeks of the COVID crisis. And it ended up buying stuff, not from companies that were the best providers of it, but from companies that some MP knew or some minister knew or some mate of some other mate knew. It wasn't about uh, what you could do. It was about who you knew. But there's, also, there's a longer term scandal here, Declan, and that is that for small businesses, the procurement system has long been completely incomprehensible. You can't work your way through it. It takes about three months and you haven't got the resources in order to do it. We need to change it. I think, you know, in principle, um, there is a great deal of benefit to be, uh, you know, determined for the small business sector in any new green deal or green whatever. And I think the point is, well, how does that actually work in practice? Mm. I do a lot of work with small businesses when I'm not 
ranting to the to the chancellor. Um, but I was doing a session earlier this week on the Small Business Leadership Programme, which is the new government leadership programme that's been announced. And, you know, how do you engage with sustainable agendas? And we're actually telling business in very practical ways. If you take the UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals, boil that down to what businesses can do in practice in terms of their carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's wonderful opportunities here. But I would want to see government you know, in terms of um, supporting, not just in terms of uh, nudging and encouraging, but actually giving cash on the table to say, look, you know, we, we, will, we will actually support any innovations you're doing to your business model. Um, it's not about shiny new products, by the way. This is about how every business in the country can change their behavior and encouraging them to do so, giving them rate relief, giving them all sorts of, um, you know, give them a green voucher to, claim against tax or something like that. These are the things, we know R&D tax credits work. I've been encouraging growth vouchers that if you engage in growth, you get a voucher to go and get get skills in terms of leadership management training. A green voucher whereby businesses can cash it in and set it off against their tax. This is really, really important to get every business in the country buying into this agenda. Otherwise, they'll just lie there in the ditch. Skills are the other big thing that, of course, you've heard me rant about many times, but we need high quality training. There's no point in in the kind of training we've seen in the past where firms have bid for the training contracts and not actually delivered. Well, you know, this small business leadership program, we've got 20 of the best business schools in the country. We'll be training 2,000 leaders between now and the end of the financial year. Um, And I actually have been having discussions with government about how they fund that beyond the one year. And I was hoping that a three-year comprehensive spending review might actually flag that up. I can't see it happening next week. But the point is that there's ways in which we can get business leaders, and that's what, you know, people like Louisa are, to engage in these agendas, which are really vitally important for us, but not through rhetoric from number 10 with a backdrop that looks like he's in prison or being held hostage, but actually engaged in some serious policy levers, which we know work. Okay, there's maybe a bit of abuse around R&D tax credits, but they work, and I have seen the examples of them working in small businesses across the country. You know, £5,000 here, £10,000. It's cash, immediate cash in the financial year into a business. It's really, really important. We can do that with the Green Agenda. We can do that as part of the recovery after COVID. Okay. Um, we, need, we, need to, we need to wrap this up. But there is good news in that vaccines are, you know, fairly close now. However, fairly close it still means several months away. Can businesses, entrepreneurs, freelancers in whatever sector they work in, can they survive until the vaccines come through? Can they survive until we get these new practical policy measures on the table? That's my big worry. Or is it too late? One word, most probably not. Louisa, what do you think? I think if you're willing to adapt and be resilient and market yourself, and people be, as you said, Liz, a change in attitude to freelancers, then I'd like to hope yes. Okay. We'll keep plugging away at the change in attitude to freelancers. Simon, you've been very quiet. Yes, I've been listening to all the experts here. But um, one thing that strikes me is that uh, the government is very gimmicky. Um, I mean, it it turns out that all these Ritchie schemes are quite gimmicky. You know, the eat out of save. Where did he come from? And also the... uh, 
The Boris Green plan, I thought, was just very gimmicky as well. There's no real strategy behind it. I mean, you know, you talk about everybody having to have an electric car by 2030. Well, how, how the hell are they going to charge these cars? Most people in London have to park their car on the street. You know, you can't drive it up the drive and charge. So, you know, it's all ill thought out. It's all very much. No, it's not thought out at all. That's the problem. It, well, it's headlines. thought out to a certain Everyone extent. Everyone is headline grabbing. He's ticking boxes, which he thinks will be popular, but it's not a strategy behind it. And we've you're, seen you're being this sold lack a of strategy. That's not fit the, for purpose. We've seen this lack of strategy in the whole response to the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I, I just despair of this government. I've been saying, where is the strategy for jobs? Where's the strategy for skills? Where's the strategy for industry? We need a strategy for the structural changes in the economy. Um, and also we need where a strategy, are they? the treasury, the whole function of government, and maybe Cummings was right about this, the treasury is too powerful and it does not understand what is going on in the economy. And that needs to change. Declan, anything, any final thoughts from you? Well, just as, as Simon talks about the, the, the treasury and whether it's fit for purpose, you know, I, my mind keeps drifting back to that scene in Yes Minister where Sir Humphrey describes the civil service as uh, a Rolls Royce uh, civil service. You, if this is a Rolls Royce government, it needs to go to the garage and have a mechanic look at it. Because this, you know, the, that that NAO report into procurement this week depends what school he went supplies, to. Yeah, was 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 just a real shocker. Um, the the word of the week for me was flexitarian. Apparently, we are all now becoming more flexitarian, and Mickey Clark is leading the way here. Because flexitarian is someone who is cutting down on meat and dairy and eating more of plants and plant-based products. We've had McDonald's what are you say talking about? burgers made out of mushrooms. I don't eat burgers anyway, unless I make them. <laughs> well, this is yeah, with when you, try you have the likes, of mushrooms. <laughs> when, when you have the likes of McDonald's say that alongside the Big Mac and uh, the, the, the McChicken, they're going to have the McMushroom. And when you have Barclays <laughs> say uh, that uh, the market for food and drink that is based in plants is going to grow by a thousand percent in 10 years. Give me a burger with the horns off and the bum wiped. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a veggie in the first place, so I'm with you. On oh, I like it. I like, I like a good mushroom. You like a good mushroom burger. <laughs> I, I Granny will like a good right, mushroom. Look, uh, I've, heard Mickey order, I've heard Mickey order a steak before. How would you like it cooked? Head and hooves off, he said. <laughs> well, on that point, it's nearly lunchtime. <laughs> Mushrooms on thank, toast. Thank you, everyone, so much. Mark Hart uh, and Louisa Clack, you've been absolute stars. Thanks very much for joining yeah, us. Put up with uh, us. Simon, well, putting up with us, yes. Yeah. Simon, Declan, Mickey, it's been terrific. And, of course, uh, George and Harry have been behind the scenes uh, recording and editing and working out what the social media clips might say. <laughs> so thank you to the whole team, and uh, we'll see you next week. But all our podcast conversations, interviews with politicians, blogs on all aspects of small businesses and self-employment are available at backinbusiness.com. 
www.business.org.uk. We'll be posting the next in our series of podcasts on business and mental well-being on Wednesday the 25th. Given the comprehensive spending review, you might uh, want to tap into that instead because it's a much more interesting listen. And if you'd like to contribute to our business or our mental well-being podcast, find us on LinkedIn or Twitter at uh, business underscore back in, or of course, email us at contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>